to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ. That's right, the Dynasty Warzone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas, and you can find me on all the social medias at Salad Galore. That is Dallas spelled backwards with the double L galore. People, it's good to be back. I have been burning the midnight oil as of late with a bunch of family stuff going on, a bunch of work-related long trips that have been, for lack of better phrasing, kicking my ass. So it is great to be here talking to you all about these rookies as we are just about to enter in training camp here. Um, The last couple weeks have been a little bit busy, haven't been dropping any content, so I wrapped up. Uh, This would have been three weeks ago now uh, at the time of recording. Um, I would have been wrapping up my expectations basically my acquisition lists for when i wanted players on my teams from this rookie class whether that be basically before week one before the season starts uh before week nine right before that trade deadline but still kind of in the in the words of uh kyle uh, from everyone's favorite ff smackdown uh waiver wiver sniping kind of guys and then before the end of the season going into the 2024 season before everything ends before people start truly paying attention to the 2024 class, trying to acquire some of these easier pieces that I want on my team prior to the season end to really start to solidify that young core. Um, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them. But we are going to be changing strategies a little bit going forward here. And the first one that we're going to be doing here in this, you know, the thick of the offseason now, right, as training camps are starting to kick off, is talking about the training camp. And what I'm going to be doing today is breaking down training camp positional battles that we need to be watching closely and that we should care about. And I'm going to be going through everyone's favorite four positions here in the fantasy space. Uh, I have a total of 26 positional battles between the four positions of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end, along with some stats and nuggets, um, who they're going up against, and my expectations for them in camp over the next couple of weeks and into the preseason that I will be watching specifically to make my decisions of whether or not I'm going to be shipping these pieces down the road, basically either full stashes on my taxi or shipping away off my team. If I don't think they're ever going to get a shot based off of not beating out certain guys that they definitely should, or if I'm going to try to acquire these guys, um, there's a big list here. So you're not going to be getting hype on every single one of these players throughout here. So this list, if you're paying attention to it, you should be able to make up those acquisitions of players at a pretty cheap value. Um, So the best advice I can give you is pay attention to the list, pay attention to the people that you need to specifically be focusing on, as well as the trends that I'm going to bring up for these offenses um, that, and really the offensive outlook that you have for a lot of these teams. So without further ado, um, we'll dive into the easy position here. There's only one quarterback battle that I'm concerned about in this offseason training camp positional battle, um, you know, little exercise that we're doing. And it's a guy that I've brought up multiple times here on the last couple episodes. 
If you've been paying attention, you can say the name for me, but it is Mr. Clayton Toon in Arizona. I've been beating the drum since he was drafted ever since the Kyler injury. I knew that there was going to be another quarterback coming in here when they didn't bring him in in free agency. It was always going to be a rookie that was the front runner to get in some reps, especially because of some of the unrest that's going on in Arizona right now. When you're looking at Clayton Toon, his only competition on the roster to start week one as of right now due to the reports that Kyler Murray are, is not expected back until at the earliest, basically October, is Colt McCoy. Um, mid thirties quarterback middling lots of injuries on his very own resume as well. And Arizona doesn't really gain anything at all from starting a Colt McCoy with the roster that they have. They've shaped the roster specifically to not really compete this year, but to be a forward thinking and acquiring draft picks down the road type of team. I think they'd be very happy with tanking this year most likely getting a King's ransom kind of in the similar vein to what the bears did this year with the number one overall pick. If they decide to stick with Kyler Murray next year and then pushing it down the road. So it kind of behooves them to truly see what they have in Clayton tune at the quarterback position. And if you're telling me all you have to do is beat out a guy who's never stuck on a team at any point, basically in the last decade for more than a season or so, it should be pretty easy. Um, when you start to look at it, like I said, it's a positional battle for the QB1. This will be the QB1 most likely for the first six to eight weeks is what my expectation is. I expect Kyler to be put on the pup list, be coming off the pup list at that week six deadline, basically, for the initial one before he goes on a season-long IR and then having that 21-day period, so the two weeks of game time, to bring them back into week eight and realistically take over the team again. So you're looking at basically almost eight, weeks uninterrupted for a rookie to get a chance and in super flex he doesn't have to be amazing it's just the fact that quarterbacks are worth so much money and we have no idea what's going to happen and who it's going to happen to but the inevitability of a quarterback going down at some point and someone needing to fill it fill that roster hole in a super flex league is pretty high um, the personnel breakdowns for the arizona cardinals truly don't really matter when you're looking at the quarterback what does matter though is that this team passes the ball a lot and often now granted that wasn't underneath cliff kingsbury it is a different ownership now different offensive scheme right now but over the last two years they were third in pass attempts last year they were third the prior year they were fourth averages out to actually third when you look at the total attempts between the two years um the team likes to throw the ball I have a feeling they're going to be running quite a bit more this year, but expecting them to basically not go below that league average mark when it comes to pass attempts, when you've been basically in the top five for the last five to six years, they're a very quick paced team with uh, under Cliff Kingsbury. I've talked about it multiple times. Their rush attempts per season are always in the top five of the last couple of years. And their pass attempts have always been roughly top 10. So being a, top three last year, even with the Kyler Murray injury late on in the season. Pretty impressive. Clayton Toon's a guy I'm trying to acquire, and that's one I'll be watching very closely. Um, I already have all the Clayton Toon, and a lot of people are starting to kind of hop onto that bandwagon. So if you don't already have the acquisition shares, um, I would look out for it. But what I'm looking for is for them to basically name him the starter early in training camp and then immediately flip him for something of value because odds are you got him for free. If he's still on your waiver wire, go get him for free or at the very worst case scenario, you paid a fourth. You'll be able to most likely get a third next year. And if you don't need him at quarterback depth, there's no reason to hold him on your team. The second that he becomes more valuable than what you are actually paying for him, 
to acquire in this offseason, you ship them out. So that's all. I won't beat this dead horse as I talk about Clayton Toon every episode now. So we'll jump into the running back position. Um, there are a lot of running backs in this class that are going to be heavily competing for the RB2 position on their NFL death charts. A lot of them. And I can't stress that enough, guys. There are currently, I have eight of note that I think it is a serious battle for them in this camp to not only make the roster, but also gain the RB2 position on their team. The first one of note is Jameer Gibbs. I don't know what's going to go on with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery in this weird, awkward tandem that they're going to have. Are they going to try to do the exact same thing that they did last year? If so, they're both competing for that RB1 position. Um, it's going to be most likely in the RB1 and RB2 type of situation. Uh, when you look at 21 personnel, which is having two backs on the field, um, typically if you're a heavy two back team, you'll typically be above the around 17% threshold. Jameer Gibbs is going into a situation in Detroit that over the last two years, they have had a 10% 21, uh, 10% share of all of their offensive plays be 21 personnel. So not looking great for having two backs on the field on a regular basis. It's, it's basically league average is what you're looking at right here for the number of times they'll both be on the field. David Montgomery is the grinder. Jameer Gibbs will most likely be a reception guy. Uh, I won't beat this dead horse either. It's just the fact that when you're looking at the team, they're basically smack dab in the middle when it comes to 21 personnel, as well as rush attempts in the NFL at 14th of the last two years. I think that's probably going to continue. We've seen two years underneath Dan Campbell. Don't see a lot of that changing, even though the backs have now changed. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what this team looks like mid-season once all the pieces are healthy and all the pieces are back. But I still think that this is going to be a pretty big pass-happy team, more so than a rush-happy team. You're going to get decent value, but it's going to be the same frustrating type of deal that you were dealing with last year with trying to <clears throat> kind of pick out between Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. So watching this in camp, if Jameer Gibbs is playing a lot of slot wide receiver, I think you're going to see a lot more out routes, wheel routes, zigs, zags, that type of thing from him, and a lot more PPR upside. But if you see a lot of him just with the running back groups and splitting carries and David Montgomery is just as prevalent and popping off like he does every year in training camp, I'd be a little bit concerned for the ceiling of Gibbs. I want to see how the actual not really target distribution works in Detroit, but I want to see the positional lineups when it comes to Jameer Gibbs. And when you're looking at him and David Montgomery, who's getting that third down roll? Because I still am not a firm believer that Jameer Gibbs is a good pass protector. And I know for a fact, David Montgomery is. So it's just something to keep note of. The next one of note is RB2 battle down in New Orleans. That is Mr. Kendra Miller versus Jamal Williams. Um, reports were just coming out. Basically, Kamara has pled no contest, which means pleading guilty, for lack of better phrasing, to the misdemeanor assault. Um, because he is officially pleading guilty and being charged, there's no way he's getting out of suspension. So this is kind of an RB1 battle slash RB2 battle for the first probably six weeks is what I would assume for this type of conflict off the field. And when I'm looking at this matchup... It's one that I'm most likely not going to pick the rookie on. Jamal Williams is very serviceable, and Kendra Miller has a lot of gas, but the odds of them splitting and going away from the tried and true veteran, it just doesn't really scream New Orleans system and how their offense have rolled really since even the Sean Payton days. Um, the veterans always get the first crack, and we saw that 
from many a position last year, <clears throat> even under this new offensive regime. So it's something I expect to continue. Um, Kendra's a guy I want on my team probably before the trade deadline. So we'll probably start to pick up steam and Jamal might get a little dinged up with that huge workload that's realistically coming to him. But I see Kendra more of a fill-in guy. What's going to prove me wrong in training camp on this battle, as I said, is going to be seeing the snap percentage. If you see Kendra even basically with snaps with the first team as Jamal, then you can start to get a little bit more excited. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't see the Kamara suspension happening before training camp, so it'll be kind of hard to watch. <clears throat> but when you're looking at the percentages, New Orleans, they're at the 5% threshold. So they're actually bottom five in the league when it comes to 21 personnel. And they are right there in the middle as well. They're actually 15th in rushing attempts over the last two years. So again, a team that doesn't have a large rushing amount, they like to pass the ball more so than rush. And they have kind of a slower pace to their overall offense over the last couple of years. Um, not a lot of huge ceiling upside for Kendra Miller as a rookie, but I will be paying attention to this battle specifically to see who they favor as the big back in the goal line situations over Kamara. <clears throat> Going into the Miami backfield, this is one that should be very enticing for a lot of people. Um, you can order these Miami backs however you want to when it comes to Jeff Wilson, uh, when it comes to Raheem Moster, et cetera, those guys that have been around this type of team um, in Miami, the Shanahan system now for two years. <clears throat> what I'm looking at is these numbers for 21 personnel are pretty bonkers. Uh, when they run the ball, almost 50% of the time in Miami last year, they were in 21 personnel with two backs on the field. That's just how Shanahan works. That's how it worked in San Francisco. It's how Mike McDaniels is working down in Miami. Very alluring. The thing that is concerning, though, when it comes to specifically rush workload is the rush attempts per game. The rush attempts per game in Miami last year, they were 31st in the league. They had the second fewest rush attempts in the league last year. And that is concerning if you're throwing a second round pick or you did throw a second round pick of a guy who's not walking in day one as the RB1 and is in fact just fighting for a roster spot and to be RB2 on this team. Um, it's a tale of two stories. You hope that Devin A. Chain's explosiveness lends himself more towards the screen game as another offensive weapon, more so than a running back on this roster, which would make sense based on his size. <clears throat> but if you're expecting him to be a tried and true running back, I don't think you're going to get what you want from him. Uh, I want to see his battle with Jeff Wilson specifically. Jeff Wilson is a very good pass blocker. Devin A. Chain is okay. He's not amazing. I want to see who's locking down the third down role in this offense. Is it a chain or is it Wilson by the end of training camp? Whatever the answer is to that is who you should be rostering over the other. Yes. Jeff Wilson is good and older. Yes. He's dealing with injuries, but that's honestly what's going to make or break. This is pass protection <clears throat> to a can't get hit as much as he has been. And it's got to change. Um, <clears throat> another nice little RB two battle in Chicago here with Roshan Johnson and Devonta Foreman. Um, you're looking at a team that runs the ball like crazy. Um, is that going to change a little bit? Probably. They do run a lot of 21 personnel, but most of that is with Kareem Blassingame, who's the fullback. They're one of two teams in the league, basically, that still use a fullback, and that's 21% of the time. So a fifth of the time, you're going to have a running back and a fullback out there. A lot of power, a lot of ISO is what they run in Chicago. So it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. But the third in the league in rush attempts last year, fifth the year prior, they run the ball a lot. I expect that to continue. 
I still lean towards Dante Foreman in this situation. He's a very underrated and very good back, and we brought him in for a reason. Roshan, still a fourth-round pick, still in all the off-season programs to this point, has never gotten basically first-team reps at any point. So you're still looking at Devonta Foreman as long as he can hold up to be that true RB1 of the team. You're looking at Khalil Herbert to be the change of pace back and Roshan to make the roster to be the three. Now, could that switch up in training camp? Yes, they have a very similar profile. I wasn't as high on Roshan as a lot of people were. <clears throat> I think Devonta Foreman's probably a pretty good comp for a guy like Roshan Johnson, to be honest with you. Roshan just doesn't have a... Uh, an Achilles injury in his history. That's the only thing. But Dante Foreman of the last two years has proven that is way in the past. Um, he's very serviceable in all aspects of the game. He's a hammer. He's a bruiser. He's got great straight line speed. So I'm excited to see what he does for the team. This is another guy that I'm not optimistic that he's going to be able to win the job outright. But I'm going to be paying attention to it. One that is super exciting for me. Um, these are two guys that fall into the mold of player that I really like. And now they're on the same team. And they're both looking like they're going to be fighting for that RB1 role based off of an ACL injury late last season. And that is the New York Jets. You're looking at Michael Carter and Israel Abanaconda. It's an RB2 battle right now. Uh, Zonovan Knight is what he is. He's whatever. Um, this team is very interesting when it comes to the running back group, especially with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. A lot of question marks. Uh, I know Memphis just talked to you all about Michael Carter. Love me some Michael Carter. I don't need to defend my love for Michael Carter. I would just let you know that if Izzy starts popping off in preseason with these big plays, once the pads come on, like he has been doing without the pads on, Carter's got to be a little bit concerned. Uh, Abadakanda is so much more of an athletic freak than Carter. It's not even funny. Carter is a much better pass protector right now, but it kind of depends on what type of mold they're looking like for this roster. I think Carter still locks and loads as the RB on third downs and passing situations. So probably the second and third down back, but first down, I would not be surprised if they have Izzy out there just because of how big of a play they can crack if it's a play that's just a you know a sweep out to the right that's expected to get you six to seven yards, he's the type of back that takes that as a 40, 50-yard touchdown with ease due to his straight line speed. So it'll be very interesting to watch. Like I said, the thing I'm looking for in this battle in training camp is, is Michael Carter still getting those third down reps with a guy like Aaron Rodgers due to his pass blocking acumen? And is Izzy getting the early snaps and looking explosive? If you look at that, the answer is probably a pretty good split between these two guys before Brees Hall gets back. And both of these guys were productive, um, both in college and last year, Carter was really productive in the pass catching game, even with a guy like Brees Hall on the roster. So it's very interesting. Uh, this is a one back team. The remainder of the running backs that I will talk about here are one back teams. They ran 21 personnel 3% of the time last year, and they were 18th in rush attempts. I think that's probably about going to be what to expect this year um green bay with aaron Rodgers of the last couple of years has been pretty much smack dab down the middle almost a 50 50 split between rush and pass attempts and when you look at the overall offensive movement um it's usually an offense that moves pretty well so i expect them to be middle of the road when it comes to rush attempts again uh getting a you know realistically if Brees Hall misses the first six weeks of the game uh, season with that ACL injury, which very well could happen. So we've seen it multiple times. You could be looking at two productive backs on an Aaron Rodgers led offense that you got dirt cheap due to their landing spot. So it's pretty exciting to see. And it's a battle that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to one that'll be paying 
I would say less attention to, but enough just due to my JT exposure across my leagues is what's happening in Indianapolis at the RB2 position. People have been going bonkers for Evan Hall all offseason on a guy that I just really have not been in love with, to be honest with you. And when you're looking at this situation, though, with JT, a little bit of a bang-up injury history, a lot of sleeping happening on JT's upside this year for some reason. Um, If you're sleeping on JT, you should be all in on whoever the RB2 is for this offense. Um, You're looking at Evan Hall versus Zach Moss. Zach Moss looked amazing last year when he stepped in for Jonathan Taylor, when he got went down in week, I believe it was 13 last year, <clears throat> wrapped up the rest of the season had four double digit uh, PPR fantasy games in a row. I believe one was over 20 points as well in that same span. And on a team that once again is middle of the road in rush attempts, they're 18th. So a little bit behind the curve. I think that had a lot to do with the JT injury more so than anything, but they were, I believe 14th the year before as well. So you're looking at an Indianapolis team that runs the ball an average amount. Um, Again, you're looking at a running back that works as a handcuff. And if for some reason, the hole is getting a lot of the team two reps over a guy like Zach Moss, uh, Moss might be cuttable and Hull might be very much addable, um, specifically to taxi squads as a future piece and a uh, late season kind of handcuff to be paying attention to with this Indianapolis offense that will be running the ball a lot with Anthony Richardson. <clears throat> Down in Dallas, this is the one I have been pounding the freaking table for all offseason and y'all still aren't listening, so I'm just going to do it again. Deuce Vaughn versus Malik Davis. If someone will DM me, the first you know what, the first person to DM me where Malik Davis went to school gets a prize. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to be good. Deuce Vaughn has the RB2 position in Dallas already locked up. Okay, he has to beat Malik Davis, who's the incumbent number two, and Ronald Jones, who was on a veteran minimum contract, who didn't get a, basically a single snap last year for the Kansas City Chiefs, who were dying for RB help behind a guy like Isaiah Pacheco. It, it's just so easy. And you're looking at a team that likes the one-back system. They have shown repeatedly underneath Mike McCarthy their propensity to switch between their two backs split the workload basically 50 50 and that was with an all pro running back in the backfield like Ezekiel Elliott with Tony Pollard so now that Tony Pollard coming off of a broken leg injury is entering in as the RB1 you think they're not going to spell him with another running back and this is a guy whose ADP does not make sense to me right now they were seventh in the league in rush attempts last year even with an offense that was cooking in the passing game doesn't make a ton of sense the offensive line is finally hopefully healthy this year you're looking at a reliance on a lot of explosive players and Deuce Vaughn is one of the best creators of space in this draft class of the running back position go pick him up pay attention to the battle it's not going to be a competition Deuce should walk in day one as the RB2 and I'm very excited to see how it goes I want to see him in the silver and blue and see what he has cooking down in Dallas the last running back that I want to talk about is the Los Angeles Rams And this one's interesting. This is a three-way battle right now for the RB2 position. You have Zach Evans coming in as the rookie against Sonny Michelle, who was just recently brought back. And then last year's rookie who got swept underneath the rug due to uh, questions and terrible play in Kyron Williams. When it comes to pass blocking, Sonny Michelle is the best of the three. He's also the veteran with the most experience and the biggest workload behind him. I think he walks in and is the third down back with a guy like Cam Akers being the first and second down back. 
<clears throat> when it comes to the handcuff and the true who's going to lead the backfield in snaps if Cam Akers, I guess not if, when Cam Akers inevitably goes down with an injury, that's another question. Um, Kyron, I, I'm, I'm out on Kyron. People, people can keep that copium happening, but it, it's just not going to happen, guys, and we got to accept it. It becomes a question of can Zach Evans run the ball better than Sony Michelle? At this point, probably, but will he get an option too? As a fifth round pick, probably not. Um, when you look at 21 personnel last year, the Los Angeles Rams did not run a single play out of 21 personnel. Zero percentage. You, The only way to get on the field as a running back in LA is as the RB1. Uh, they were also 26th in rush attempts, even with dealing with horrible quarterback play when he was healthy in Matthew Stafford, followed up by worst quarterback play when Stafford went down and Baker Mayfield was in the game. They just could not run the ball. So they stopped attempting to run the ball last year. Does that continue? Most likely. I think it's going to be kind of a dumpster fire again here in Los Angeles. So it's something to pay attention to. Um, One of these running backs will probably be productive for your fantasy teams. Do I know which one yet? No, can't give you advice on it, but it's one that you guys should be paying attention to. One of these guys is going to get cut. My money's on Kyron getting cut, and they're going to walk in with Cam Akers, Zach Evans, and Sony Michelle as their one, two, three punch. But I've been wrong before, and it very easily could happen. But that'll wrap up the running back position. We are going to dive now into the. What do I want to do first? Let, let's go and go a little bit out of order here. Let's, let's talk about the tight end position. This is one that is fascinating to me um there are a lot of year one versus year two player positional battles that will be happening at the tight end position and that should tell you more so about the year one tight ends uh not the year one sorry the year two tight ends than it does the year one tight ends as much as people have been hyping up guys like kate otten chicka jake ferguson all three of those guys had a replacement slash competitor brought in in this year's draft somewhere in the third to fifth round range in the form of Luke Schoonmaker, Josh Wiley, and Payne Durham. All three of those teams that they're on are above the 26% threshold for running 12 personnel. So you're looking at three teams that like to run multi-tight end offenses, and two of them are not super athletic. Um, Jake Ferguson and Kate Otten are the two that I'm referencing. So Jigga Kwanko is the athletic move tight end. He probably is the safest out of all of them, but all three of these guys realistically are going to see the field most likely as a 50-50 split with these other tight ends. They're all very capable blockers, but all three of these guys are very big athletic like massive wingspan targets. Shoemaker, Wiley, and Durham, I think all have six, seven or larger wingspans. They're in like the 95th or higher percentile when it comes to physical aspects, all three of them. So it, it, it's very interesting to see how this is going to play out. When you're looking at Dallas down there, they're still looking for the replacement now of a guy in Dalton Schultz who kind of blew everyone out of the water. No one expected it to happen unless your name was me or Kyle. Um, and so you're looking at this and they need another tight end. They need more pass game help. They need more blocking help. Um, which one's going to be better between Jake Ferguson and Shoemaker? I'm not really sure. They're very similar prospects. When you were looking at last year's draft with Jake Ferguson, you said he was probably one of the better all-around blocking and receiving tight ends in the league. 
<clears throat> coming into the league, sorry. And then when you were looking at Luke Schoonmaker this year, it was the exact same verbiage. So they they have a type. They like the all-encompassing, all-around dudes that have sneaky athleticism, i.e. just big white dudes, basically, is what they typically like to call them. But when you're looking at these two, very similar profiles, very similar college profiles in general when it comes to production as well. So it, it, this is the closest out of the battles for me. It'll be very interesting to see how this breaks out. Um, good chance that Shoemaker overtakes Jake Ferguson, but there's a good chance that both are productive and will give you that best ball tight end upside. Um, paying attention to this battle a lot. I want to see who's running with the ones come week three of preseason. So you should definitely be paying attention in Dallas to the tight end battle. Same thing in Tennessee. Tennessee has no veteran pre- presence right now in that tight end room. Chigaguanco right now is the oldest person that's in the room. Very concerning from the tight end position. So when you're looking at this, I see Josh Wiley coming in. He's a massive dude, four-year producer at Purdue. He he could be very, very productive. And so you're looking at a, just a really big target, good hands, all-around good mover. Not as quick as Chikaquanquo, but definitely a good separator and a zone beater. So again, um, this is another 12 personnel team where they are 30%. Um, the thing about Tennessee that is concerning, though, it's the same reason that another wide receiver coming in there is going to limit upside is the fact that they're 30th in pass attempts over the last two years. That's just a mainstay underneath the variable offensive schemes that they keep bringing in. Don't see that changing at all. That's why I'm concerned about these two tight ends. Who I'm not concerned about is whoever wins the Tampa Bay job between Payne Durham and Kay Vodden. Uh, They're going for the tight end one position battle right now down in Tampa Bay. You're looking at a team that goes with 26%, 12 personnel. They'll both be on the field pretty regularly. Cameron Brait is gone. OJ Howard is gone. You're looking exclusively now at Kate Otten and Peyton Durham holding down that tight end room. They were first in pass attempts last year. They were third the year prior. They maintained first last year, even with the abysmal play that was happening from the quarterback position, the line play, everything with Tom Brady. So it'll be very interesting. I think they know they have to pass the ball. And the fact that they haven't brought in another running back outside of Rashad White tells me they're going to be passing the ball a lot. This is a guy I'm very interested in. Um, Memphis, like I said, in the last episode of his stuff, talked about Kate Otten. Um, Paid Durham is not a name to sleep on. Both of these guys are interesting in the same capacity of Shoemaker and Ferguson. This is a year two versus a year one battle that I'm very intrigued to see who wins outright. Very similar skill set, but Durham's a much better athlete than Otten is. Otten's actually a much better blocker than Durham is. So you could see a role reversal where the fantasy aspect of this leans into the Payne Durham side as opposed to the Kate Otten side. And then the final battle that is going to be happening right now, it's not one that is super – let me rephrase that. There's two other battles I didn't bring up really because we're not going to know until the beginning of the season, and that's Michael Mayer versus Austin Hooper and Luke Musgrave versus Tucker Craft in Las Vegas and Green Bay respectively. Um, Both of those matchups are pretty much washes. Uh, 12 personnel in Las Vegas is not a thing. They were last in the league at 7%. 12 personnel. Um, however, they were 13th in pass attempts. I foresee that continuing. They like their tight ends. They like their seam splitters. Michael Mayer is a very good zone beater. The thing is, I think you would have to run him out of the slot a lot. So I don't see him actually beating Austin Hooper, who's a better blocker for most of the snaps early on in the season. But I could be wrong. Camp could tell you that I am wrong. And that's why I have that down as one to pay attention to. And then Luke Musgrave versus Tucker Craft. One of these tight ends will be the tight end one for Green Bay. Will that mean anything come week three of the fantasy season i don't think so just because i don't think jordan loves the answer there at quarterback so it'll be very interesting to see how this all pans out 
it's uh, uh, the Jordan Love love is interesting to me. It's uh, Memphis brought this up, not the Jordan Love aspect, but the phrase where he, the, the young kids nowadays are will say you're telling on yourself, basically. Uh, if you're hyping up Jordan Love and shitting on other quarterbacks that have shown a lot more than Jordan Love, is, there's a problem with your process. Um, but th- this Green Bay tight end mashup right now, Tucker Craft's the much better athlete, um, which is saying something because Luke Musgrave is a good athlete, but Tucker Craft is kind of a freak. Um, very interested to see how this pans out. Both are extremely raw, so I think whoever blocks and whoever has the better route running, which in my opinion is Tucker Craft as of right now, um, will get the job. I'm just not interested in this guy, so I don't want to divulge too much time. Um, But the one that I am interested in is Zach Kuntz versus Jeremy Ruckert in New York. This Jets team, they have two old mainstays in the form of Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzoma. They both took actually pay cuts to stay on the team just as a veteran presence. However, Jeremy Ruckert was dealing with an injury going into last year and then dealt with it pretty much all of last year. So we didn't get to see him at all. Um, The tight ends that are there are productive. They're good vets. They're solid. They can do everything that you ask for, which is what Rodgers typically ask for. But they always like to have some kind of athletic seam threat on the Green Bay type of Rodgers type of LaFleur offenses. And I see that continuing with the Jets this year. One of Zach Kuntz and Jeremy Ruckert is going to get cut. And that's pretty wild to think about. But one of those is going to be productive for the Jets, and one of them is going to be productive for another team. This is a tight end three battle right now. With Odds are you're going to be paying attention to the future. Um, I'm watching this battle to decide which one I want to stash on a taxi and which one I think I'm going to roll the dice with and uh, pick up in best balls. Because one of these guys most likely will be productive for the Jets this year. I'm just not positive as to which one it's going to be. That's the tight end position. Uh, now we can dive into this wide receiver position. Um, this this wide receiver position is pretty. However, is pretty interesting. Um, there's a lot of guys that are competing for an outside wide receiver two position in this class with guys again from last year or guys that truly haven't shown anything of note yet. Um, I'm just going to run through all of those outside two guys for you before I dive into the slots and some of the weirder cases. First guy is Jonathan Mingo. He is now in Carolina, um, was kind of the off-season darling when it comes to athletic metrics, really pushing him up draft boards, I think, more so than his production on the field. But he's going up against Terrace Marshall, who was a metrics guy coming out, who had the production in college, but really has not showed out. Now, granted, he has had probably the second worst quarterback carousel positional situation of the last three years in his time in Carolina. So I understand you want to give him a little bit of, you know, leniency. I'm just not super in love with what this offense is going to look like right now. They're bringing in a rookie. Um, I think they're going to be running the ball quite a bit and they're going to be playing really tight defense more so than anything. Um, The best part about this is that Carolina actually was third in the league last year in 11 personnel. Um, 63% of the time they were rolling out three wide receivers. So the odds of Jonathan Mingo, Adam Thielen, and uh, DJ Chark or Terrace Marshall basically being constantly on the field is 
pretty high. Um, a good portion of the game, there will be three out of those four that will be on the field on a regular basis. This battle is to truly see who's going to be the outside guy when they're not doing burning plays and they're doing more of an underneath type of play. Um, my money right now is probably on Mingo just because Marshall, although more athletically gifted probably than a guy like Mingo, hasn't done it for me. Um, the other concerning aspect to this for me is the fact that they they were ranked 29th in pass attempts over the last two years. Um, I don't see that increasing with a rookie quarterback. So the odds of them having a large target volume of good targets is slim as this outside two wide receiver. So if your name's not Adam Thielen in this Carolina offense, I'm not positive that you're going to be eating very well from the wide receiver position. Another outside two battle. This one is actually a year one versus a year two player. Again, um, this is between Jaden Reed and Romeo Dubs in Green Bay. Um, they run 11 personnel in Green Bay 50% of the time. Like I said, Green Bay is just the the NFL's example of balance. Uh, the Thanos meme of uh, this is perfectly balanced with his little knife. That's It's typically what <laughs> Green Bay attempts to do, and it's typically why they were so successful with Rodgers at the helm. You never really knew what they were going to do on any given down. Um, I, I don't know who the wide receiver one is, really. So people will instantly gravitate towards Watson just because he had that four-week stretch with Rodgers. But again, Rodgers isn't there anymore. Um, Watson's probably the most raw out of all three of these guys. He's got the most physical traits out of all the three, which is nice. But Jaden Reed has the speed that Watson has. He's just a little bit smaller. Romeo Dubs has much better <laughs> route running, really, than a guy like Christian Watson does. And he's got the physical size of a Christian Watson. He just doesn't have the speed. So there's aspects to both of these guys' games that Christian Watson can do. Christian Watson could just be a gadget player, for all we know, in this offense with Jordan Love. Um, Romeo Dubs is my bet here. Jaden Reed is a good play for later on down the road. Um, but again, middle of the road, 18th in passing attempts, 50th percentile when it comes to 11 personnel. So on the field, half the time, Green Bay is a weird case. Like I said, I'm straying away. Um, pay attention to this battle, though, specifically between Reed and Dubs, because one of those guys is going to be the outside two wide receiver. Um, I just don't know which one yet. Another outside two wide receiver matchup is down in Arizona. Um, you have Michael Wilson going up against Greg Dortch. Now, physically, could not be more different from each other, but they both are going to play kind of that similar role that, um, how would I call this? Almost like a Mike Williams role. Um, just kind of a, let's get you 20, 15 to 25 yards down the field, see how much separation you have. And if you have a little bit, I'll probably trust you to get the ball. That's kind of what they did with Greg Dortch over the last couple of years. It's what I expect Michael Wilson to get. I don't know if Michael Wilson's going to be able to stay healthy um, with Clayton Toon throwing the ball. I don't know if it's going to be super pretty, um, but he's probably my bet to be that wide receiver three slash outside number two wide receiver. They run 11 personnel as the fifth highest clip in the league at 60%. And they were fourth in pass attempts last year. So yeah, you heard me right. They were, th they were third in rush attempts and fourth in pass attempts. Um, I told you this Arizona offense has been pretty wild. It could look a lot different, and this whole analysis on this team could look even crazier typically than you would anticipate, but <clears throat> I'm very intrigued to see how this is going to end up working out. Down in Arizona, I would lean Michael Wilson, but it's one that I'll be paying attention to a lot. Wasn't a super high draft pick, so he could easily flame out. Could get nicked up in camp, and if he does that, he's pretty much done in Arizona. Um, one that I'm pretty excited about that a lot of people aren't talking about is Pukanuka 
out of BYU versus Van Jefferson in LA. Um, they run 11 personnel, the highest out of any team in the history of the league. I feel like they run it 90% of the time over the last two years, 23rd in pass attempts are not amazing, but that was also dealing with uh, an injured and ineffective Matthew Stafford and a really bad pace of play. A lot of injuries on that team, not really good. And a lot of, you know, <clears throat> malcontention is what we'll call it. But P- Puka Nuka, if you were an analytic darling in this class, Pukanuka was right there with you, basically. Um, he didn't have the counting stats, but when it came to a per-play basis, better than Michael Wilson. Um, he was on par with what uh, Chris Olave was doing before he was drafted prior in last year's draft. Um, just a very productive, big wide receiver, 6'2", 200 pounds. <clears throat> I think he ran to the four threes. Just a, a really good nuanced wide receiver, kind of like a guy like Van Jefferson. And for me, Van Jefferson has shown us what he can do. Um, it's <laughs> it's a random PPR best ball play at best for Van Jefferson on a weekend, week out basis. Uh, I'm very interested to see if Nuka can usurp him for that wide receiver two uh, slash wide receiver three position on that team behind Cooper cup and see if he can be effective, especially because he's kind of a deep threat and Stafford is not afraid to throw the deep ball. Um, Cause he's already ranked over a guy like Tutu Atwell for me. So I'm paying attention to that battle quite a bit and you should as well. Um, the last of the outside wide receiver competitions that you should be paying attention to is in Houston. This is between Xavier Hutchinson and Nico Collins. Um, I, I don't, I'm not positive who's going to be left on this roster after cuts for this, but as of right now, Robert Woods is the wide receiver one in Houston. Um, realistically going to get a large number of targets as an outside wide receiver, a safety blanket, if you will, down there in Houston for Mr. Bryce Young's as a separator, as a, a red zone end zone type of threat. <laughs> who's going to be playing opposite of him? Um, I love me some Xavier Hutchinson. Nico Collins has been fun, but he hasn't done anything in the NFL to make me think that he's better than a Jag type of prospect. So when you look at a team that's in 11 personnel, 40% of the time over the last two years, um, a little bit above uh, league average there at the 40%, they are right in the middle of the league at 14 overall in passing attempts over the last two years. They got a massive upgrade at quarterback from a guy like Davis Mills and you're looking at the separation ability of an Xavier Hutchinson versus a Nico Collins, I think that's going to show in training camp. I'm very excited to see which one of these guys is truly getting a lot of the work here with a guy like Bryce Young. If Xavier Hutchinson isn't being talked about at all, cool, I'll drop it. I'll drop the hype. I'm wrong. It's one of those guys that I I like, but I'm going to give him a chance until I see it not happen, basically. But it's very interesting in Houston. And transitioning from that, they have a battle in the slot as well. You have a year one player in Tank Dell going against a year two player in John Mechie. John Mechie coming back from Hodgkin's lymphoma. Tank Dell coming in as the smallest wide receiver prospect basically ever outside of a guy like Tutu Atwell. Very intrigued. Um, Same stats, 40%, 11 personnel, 14 in passing attempts. There's passing to go around. Tank Dell's a much better separator, but John Mechie is a much better I think better overall well-rounded slot player than Tank Dell is. Tank Dell should be moved around because he can play all the positions. He should be allowed to go deep sometimes. John Mechie is your underneath guy. And so that battle in the slot will be pretty interesting to me, especially with the question marks at the tight end position outside of adult and Schultz, who should really just be playing the seams 
for them and the blocking aspect for him for the young quarterback. So that's another wide receiver positional battle I'm paying attention to. I want to see how healthy John Mechie is and how he looks, and I want to see what Tank Dell looks like against NFL competition. If I see both succeed, then you can probably kick Nico Collins and Xavier Hutchinson off the team, and I'll be happy. <clears throat> Going to the last two battles, um, sorry, last three battles, uh, another slot positional battle here is in Baltimore. Um, Baltimore is one of those ugly teams that is impossible to basically project the volume, i.e. the distribution, if it's tight end, if it's wide receiver, which wide receivers get them on a regular basis from year in, year out. I feel like even though they have a solid rushing floor, they like to switch up how they do things every year. And now having a new offensive scheme, um, it, it should be interesting in Baltimore. That's all I have to say. And this battle is between Zay Flowers and Devin Duvernay for the true slot role. I think the locked in on the outside is still 100% going to be OBJ and Rashad Bateman. And then you're going to be a battle in the center for those other scrap slot snaps, basically behind a Mark Andrews in the form of Zay Flowers and Devin Duvernay. The issue with this having three wide receivers on the field only happens 7% of the time. It is the worst <laughs> 11 personnel percentage out of any of the teams, meaning that they are in either 12 or 13 personnel way more often, like 46 and 52% splits almost. Um, again, these are rounded numbers. So I realize that's over a hundred, but <clears throat> Baltimore, it'll be interesting. There were also 20th in pass attempts. Now, granted that was with an injured Lamar last year. He does like to throw the ball and has shown that he can throw the ball, but the odds of consistent targets from the slot going to either one of these guys is slim to none, especially bringing in OBJ. You're going to need an injury typically to happen. Most likely for one of these guys to eat. People undersell just how athletic and how good Devin Duvernay is. He is really freaking good. Um, so I think Zay really has to prove himself in this offseason period and become one of Lamar's trusted guys in order for him to expand. Um, they're pretty much even for me right now. So between those two guys, I'm very interested to see who might be a long-term asset, but neither one I think will be a true asset to your team in 2023. And then looking at the wide receiver, burner role on a team that just drafted a burner in classic fashion. We are looking at the New York giants to wrap up this entire segment. Um, the giants ended up bringing in Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee, who was a one year wonder in a gimmicky spread air raid offense with a quarterback that liked to hold on to the ball, wait till a guy was 20 yards downfield and then chuck it for 60 yards in the form of Hendon hooker. He's going up against Wandell Robinson, the guy who just tore his ACL. Wandell has the disadvantage in this battle. I don't even know if Wandell is going to be healthy for camp. He might not even be back until after the pup. But Jalen Hyatt, he's he's not their wide receiver one. I, I don't know who their wide receiver one is right now, but it, it'll be very interesting to see how this Giants offense is going to look because they have one guy who runs very well in a straight deep line in Jalen Hyatt and a bunch of slot wide receivers. Um, they needed an expanded role. They didn't really get it in the off season. So it'll be very interested to see how this pans out, but that's one that I'm paying attention to. Um, they run 11 personnel at 60% clip again, a little bit over average in the same vein as Arizona, but they were only 25th in Russia, uh, 25th in pass attempts last year. When you're looking at Saquon Barkley leading this charge in the offense, Daniel Jones using his legs and the underneath targets. It's just hard for me to see more than a couple of bombs this season going to Jalen Hyatt for those touchdowns on an offense that I have a lot of question marks in, in New York. <clears throat> 
that wraps it up, guys. Um, like I said, I covered 26 players there between all the positions. Um, those positional battles are the ones that I'm paying attention to. If I didn't name a player, it means they've either won the job in my mind or have no chance of winning the job in my mind. So that's just where I'm at. I'll be 100% blunt with you. And so all of these are the ones that you need to be paying attention to. Being paying attention to specifically the reports, the snap percentages, and that third preseason game. Um, we've got basically... A little over four weeks now until the NFL season actually kicks off. So it'll be pretty interesting to see how this all pans out. Um, also, that was a drastic overestimation. We have a little over six weeks until the NFL season kicks off. I'm very excited to see how this all pans out. But until next time, this was the Rookie Rundown. As always, uh, have a good week, guys. And we will be talking some more training camp news and specifically rookie news on next week's episode. So make sure to stay tuned. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.